Thank you for downloading the IA podcast. We originally published this episode onto the IA's YouTube channel, IA London. We've stripped the audio and turned it into a podcast so you can listen to it on the move. Enjoy. Yeah, there are a lot of uh, liberal theories in international relations, but no classical liberal theory or not enough uh, classical yes. liberal theory. Uh, free trade sells everything, you know, that's, mm. that's a bit of the, yeah. the idea that, that went on, but it's not enough. You should also think about power in international relations, about war, the balance of power, the role of rules and, and legislation, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Hello, and welcome to this broadcast from the Institute of Economic Affairs. I'm Steve Davies, the Head of Education at the IEA, and today I'm delighted to have with me Dr. Edwin van der Haar, and we're going to discuss uh, his just-published book, uh, Human Nature and World Affairs, an Introduction to Classical Liberalism and International Relations Theory. Now, uh, Edwin, classical liberalism and international relations are two things that are often not really put together. So could you start by telling me really, why did you write this book? What was your motive or reason Mm -hmm. for writing it? Well, there are a few uh, motives, actually. Uh, Thanks, uh, Steve, by the way. Um, First of all, Indeed, as you say, not many people know that classical liberals from the early early stages onwards, say from the Scottish Enlightenment onwards, have thought and have written about uh, international politics and world affairs. Uh, but this is mostly ignored. It's a bit scattered in their writings as mm-hmm. well. So uh, one really has to dug it up and uh, and and put it in put it into context and and, and take one theory out of it. So that's. Uh, I think important because they do have uh, different things to say than is commonly understood as liberalism in international mm. relations. Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of uh, liberal theories in international relations, mm. but no classical liberal theory or not enough uh, classical yes. liberal theory. Uh, so that was, was one reason. And that's uh, so in that way, I hope that people who are interested in this field uh, get acquainted with how a classical liberal views mm-hmm. world politics. And that would be interesting uh, for students, I hope, but also for academics and people mm-hmm. who are self-identify as classical liberals because mm-hmm. often they don't have a sufficient idea as well. Yeah. You know, uh, you know put it a bit simple, uh, free trade sells everything. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's a bit of the, yeah. the idea that, that went on, but it's not enough. Right. Uh, you know, you should also think about power in international relations, about war, the balance of power, the role of rules and, and legislation, stuff mm-hmm. like that. And uh, there is ample uh, evidence and uh, ample ground in classical liberal theory to, um, to discuss also international right. issues. So, in other words, this is, a, first of all, an effort of recovery of a kind of submerged sure. or obscured yeah. intellectual tradition. And secondly, it's providing the interested party, parties of the kind you mentioned with what you might call the intellectual toolkit to understand, if they are classical liberals themselves, yeah. more about what a classical liberal approach to this very exactly. topical issue is. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, and do so in a consistent way. Mm-hmm. Because you often see that just people, you know, pick a little bit of Smith, do a little bit of Hayek, yeah. mix it all together, leave out all the things you don't like. Uh, and yes. then go, uh, you know, say and present it as something completely logical, which it is not, uh, in my view. You have to take it from, from the basics, so from the individual mm-hmm. towards groups, 
and then onwards to the international system. So, in other words, this is, in a way, methodological individualism. You're saying that you start off with the foundation of the acting human being, yeah. then the human being in society acting with others, and then right. uh, that, above that, what level? So, what is the key intermediary for you in this story? I mean, because it seems to me, reading it, that the individualist analysis that you start off with at the beginning and the human nature that's there, when you get to the international level, it's no longer actually individual human that's beings right. who are interacting. So yeah. what, who, what are the actors in international relations and how should we understand them as classical liberals? Yeah, the main actor in international relations is a state or the nation state. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are fuzzy concepts, uh, a lot of literature on it. I, I will uh, just leave it there. Uh, but the individual has a very emotional attachment to the state. That's the mm -hmm. basic uh, insight, for example, of Hume and Smith, but also Hayek and Mises. And from there, uh, you go on to the international level, as you, as you say. So the state is the, the main actor on behalf of the individual. Right. That's the way it uh, should be seen. Mm -hmm. um, it's also difficult because the state, I mean, classical liberals obviously don't trust the state with all the, uh, to mm -hmm. do the right thing for all the liberty. So there's a tension there. Uh, but it's, it's a bit inevitable in a way because individuals are not capable of course, to determine what goes on on the international field. Although international relations is a, is a very human activity. Uh, activity yeah. So that's why you, your view on human nature is also important uh, for that. Because, uh, for example, liberals are, oft, have, are often seen as you know, peace-loving people who think the eternal peace is possible. Um, whereas classical liberals look, look at at, uh, at people as they are, they have a realistic view of human nature. And they think, well, mm, violence, conflict is also part of human nature. Mm. And if it's part of human nature uh, on a domestic level, inevitably it will also be part of human nature at the international level, which means you can't eradicate uh, conflict and violence at the international level, which is, um, which is why the human nature part is in the title. But it's also important because the uh, other liberal theories in the IR are often associated with exactly that eternal peace uh, uh, idea. Mm -hmm. uh, and this and classical liberalism uh, uh, does not buy that. So you're distinguishing your view very clearly from what you might call the dominant uh, liberal vision, which is the vision of Wilsonian yeah. institutionalism, going back before then, Immanuel Kant and the idea of cosmopolitan peace, perhaps. Yeah. So you're saying that this is a more realistic uh, and grounded vision of international relations, basically. Yeah. Given that, how do you distinguish your view from classical realism of the kind that, say, John Mearsheimer is yeah. very well known for? Sure. Putting? Yeah. I mean, that, that of course, indeed, is the other is the other side. Uh, how you should see that is that uh, realism are very, um, I mean, they, they don't care about individual liberty. Mm -hmm. uh, they care about reasons of state. Yeah. And that's a big difference because it also means that uh, realism uh, values international organization, international law, you know, as long as it serves their purposes. Mm -hmm. Whereas for classical liberals, it's something fundamental. Uh, so, um, for example, the principle of sovereignty, which goes together with mm -hmm. nation states, uh, is something for all states. 
you know, mm -hmm. the sovereignty of all states should be uh, respected. Whereas re realists, they basically don't care too much. They believe in great power management, and if the sovereignty of a small state should be so, uh, suffers in the process, well, too bad, you know. Yes. Um, so there are, are, are fundamental differences there, but, but they do share a, the feeling that the nation state is, or the state, is the central actor in the international, uh, in the international politics. They do share a, a, the value or a, a positive valuation of the balance of power, mm -hmm. although for different reasons perhaps. And uh, they do feel that the world is, is, is a, is a state-based um, system, as I just said. Um, and um, uh, so, yeah, there are commonalities, but the differences are there as well. Yeah. No, so, to like put what you say slightly in a classical illusion, Thucydides in the Melian dialogue mm, yeah. uh, has the Athenians say to the Melians, for as you well know, justice is something that only applies between equals, and in this world, the strong do what they will and the weak suffer what they must. <laughs> And from what I understand, you say that is basically the realist view. And you're saying that actually classical liberals reject that because they essentially say that the principles of justice and human rights should apply to all states, even small ones like the Alameda. Yeah, although they, they acknowledge that the world is no paradise. Well, yeah. Uh, and they, uh, so they don't aim at the paradise as well. So, mm -hmm. But they do feel there, uh, if once you have rules in place, you should keep to them. Eh? The Parkinson yeah. Savanda uh, principle, uh, you should keep to them. Whereas realism thinks, well, you know, whatever the power, uh, yeah. power consideration of a particular state leads us to, fair enough. That's you know, yeah, it's might is right versus justice. Basically. Exactly, it's uh, you know, Russia versus Ukraine. Yeah. yeah. So in that case, you clearly think that uh, for a liberal, for a classical liberal, international agreements, international law matter and are important. That states yeah. can make agreements with each other and that they should abide by those agreements. How far, though, should this go? Because you seem yep. to be sceptical in the book about much of yeah. the recent tendency history. Well, the thing is that, um, sure, you need international rules, and you can't have spontaneous ordering all along. You know, you need extra rules for that. Just as in the domestic uh, situation, you mm -hmm. need rules. Uh, however, we know that state power can also be the, the biggest threat to individual liberty. And that also goes in the international uh, situation mm -hmm. where International law and international organization are very hard to change, right? And international, tr international law trumps national law. So if something illiberal is agreed upon in the in at the international mm -hmm. level, it really has severe consequences for individual liberty. So that's why you need a limited state also at the international level. Sure, you need some rules, sure, you need some uh, organizations, but not too many. And the past decades have seen explosions of international law and legislation, treaties, mm -hmm. uh, and also quite a few, a number of international organizations who either new ones uh, were established or old ones widened their scope uh, uh, tremendously, mm -hmm. uh, far beyond their original meaning and, and remedy. And so what view does that lead to in your mind with regard to the question of humanitarian intervention, mm -hmm. which certainly since 2001 has been a major feature of a lot of mainstream liberal international IRR thinking. Yeah. True, no. Uh, I think uh, classical liberals are very hesitant uh, because uh, they, first of all, the principle of sovereignty, but uh, of course a ruler 
could um, uh, lay back behind the sovereignty and say, we're a sovereign nation, you should not interfere. Mm -hmm. Which, as a principle, is fine, but of course it could be abused. Uh, there could be genocide behind the national mm -hmm. border. I think classical liberals do view, uh, you know, in that kind of uh, emergency cases, there is a, there's an argument to, uh, to intervene. But for many of the other uh, instances we've seen in the past decades, it didn't work, uh, didn't lead any, anywhere, uh, cost a lot of... Uh, and the th classical liberals fell, uh, also point out that the costs to the intervening country mm -hmm. are huge. Uh, in lives lost, uh, in taxpayers' money, uh, those are things that should be taken into consideration when yeah. uh, looking at uh, humanitarian intervention. Um, so um, you should be very, very careful before you do something uh, yeah. like that. So in a way, it's a bit like a just war theory, which means that for it to be justified, it has to jump yeah. through a whole series of hoops, yeah. which are actually very demanding, so that it's only a very extreme kind of case that will justify sure. it. Well, there's, there's discussion about how demanding they actually are, but, uh, for example, Adam Smith, uh, at the end of the theory of moral sentiment, uh, all, he, he was like uh, almost emotional about his um, uh, positive views of Grotius, mm -hmm. which, of course, is often seen as, I mean, incorrectly, perhaps, as the father of international law, but at least he was one of the persons who um, uh, was able to write down a comprehensive system of international law with the just war principles and the just war principles are uh, quite an extensive list mm, really yes. so you know it's not that restrictive uh, that could be one of the criticisms of just war on the other hand at least you have a set of conditions before you can actually go to war and once you are in war there's a set of rules you should abide, abide to uh, for and especially like you know protecting citizens who are not a combating party, stuff like that. Uh, so there's a very strong direct connection between classical liberalism and uh, the just war theory. theory. Yeah. So to bring this up to the, the immediate present, which mm -hmm. is obviously rather fraught with the war in Ukraine and the emerging multipolar world, many would say, with sure. the rise of China and growing geopolitical tensions between the United States and China. What contribution do you think this um, rediscovered theory that you've set out in the book can make to policy in this conjuncture. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think a policy former in Foggy Bottom or the Foreign Office or the Quai d'Orsay mm -hmm. can take from your book? Well, I think what they, uh, they can uh, perhaps um, s uh, let, let me put it, let, let, me, uh, let me start in a different way. Now, what they, what they can do with this book is see what uh, emphasis they put in their work. So, for example, uh, if, you know, I'm Dutch, or from Dutch experience, there's a lot of effort, and effort in, in our international and foreign policy on international law, international, and, and expanding international organizations. Uh, while perhaps, although we're part of NATO, um, uh, the international security arrangements, mm -hmm. the alliances are taken less seriously. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I mean, uh, for example, in the contribution, uh, most of the NATO states don't contribute as much as they promised themselves, right? Yes. Uh, which I think is, is a very clear example of how not to pursue your uh, foreign right. policy, right? If you, 
security is most important, uh, which is the, the, the Russia and, and Ukraine war is once again uh, making clear. Yeah, nobody expected to have an interstate war in Europe, and mm -hmm. still here we are. Uh, so security is number one, and that means you can, uh, you know, the emphasis of your in your in your foreign policy can shift a bit mm -hmm. with the help of this uh, this theory. Uh, I, I would recommend at least to uh, to foreign policy experts. Yes. So in other words, don't forget the security question is never going to go away. You would Indeed. Say. I mean, you have a lot of liberals of all kinds of persuasion who had a little bit like a starry-eyed mm. uh, ideas and dreams about, you know, an international world society where we will all be living peacefully, uh, where the nation state should not have as much influence as it does, where uh, the military uh, would be less important, where, you know, all rules-based global system. And that's a fantasy. Uh, uh, and. I think, especially for classical liberals, there's a role to play there to say, look, we're not like them, we're more realistic, so yeah. to say, uh, in terms of what actually goes on in the world and what are the capabilities of, of people. And that we can, we, can, uh, we can use to have a more grown up, I would say, vision of international relations as classical liberals. Yeah. Uh, but also as a critique on other liberals. So, in other words, to summarise your argument, really, essentially what they should take from it is that we should avoid, on the one hand, the naive fantasies that have tended to yeah. dominate a lot of policy, but at the same time also steer away from the uh, utter cynicism, if you like, of the real yeah. hard-nosed realists uh, and to try to com combine realism with commitment to principle, which is yeah. a good principle yeah. generally. I agree. Yeah, no, that's uh, exactly what I try to... Uh, yeah to express in the book. Yeah. Right. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.